Good morning to everybody working from home again, and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. It's Start Your Week, where we set up the events of the next seven days. And here to help me is Ros Taylor, editor of the LSE COVID blog. Good morning, Ros. Hello, Andrew. Are you working from home like everybody else? Yes, I am. I'm actually crouched on my bed in my bedroom, which is where I customarily do podcasts because there's a lot of uh, soft duvet around, which I believe is good for the sound. It is. There you go. Letting lights in on magic there. So uh, plan B and the expected harsher COVID measures are here. Things are so serious that the Prime Minister interrupted Top Gear for his press conference on Sunday, which won't go down well with the base. The London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine is predicting that deaths could reach between 25,000 and 75,000 between now and April if Omicron is not contained. And the new measures come in a make-or-break week for Johnson. He's still facing questions about a Christmas quiz that wasn't a quiz. There will be a probable rebellion on the measures from his own right-wingers when Plan B goes to votes on Tuesday. And there is the small matter of the North Shropshire by-election on Thursday. So, Ros, let's talk about COVID first. Johnson has been hammering this idea of an Omicron tidal wave. Uh, the Guardian says that hospitals expect NHS England to declare a national incident within days at how serious is this on a scale of, of previous um, COVID events? We don't know, is the answer. It's very hard to tell for the moment. And that is because we don't know how serious Omicron is compared to other varieties of COVID. And we don't know what effect it will have in a largely vaccinated population, which Clearly, with previous waves, we haven't been in that situation. But we do know that it is very, as far as we can tell, much more infectious than uh, previous kinds, even Delta. And that means that it is spreading very fast. You've probably seen reports over the weekend of people attending parties where, you know, something like 17 out of 21 people would test positive. But so many of those people with very minor symptoms or even asymptomatic. But nonetheless, it's clearly very, very good at spreading. And so even if it is milder, that could still lead to the NHS being overwhelmed because it's always on a knife edge at this time of year. Yeah, I mean, it, it does appear to be showing what they're describing as exponential growth. Yeah. Uh, 360,480 new corona cases in the UK, up 11.9% uh, week on week. Uh, what, what, what do you think of the measures? I mean, is this, you know, this has been trialled so heavily over the past, you know, two or three weeks with the the kind of rider that, you know, Johnson won't leave it till it's too late and then do something. A, what do you think of the measures? And B, do you think that, I mean, obviously this has arrived at a very uh, busy time, shall we say, for uh, the Prime Minister personally? Well, I mean, the thing he announced last night in his eight o'clock news conference was the rocket booster programme, as I think the Mail puts it today, which is an inevitable way of putting it. Basically, everyone over 18 can now get a booster, apparently by the end of December which is a tall order. That means a million boosters a day. It is questionable, to be honest, whether the NHS will be able to do that, especially over the festive period. And I do wonder whether that will end up being a promise that can be kept. There's also, of course, new testing regime. Basically, you need to test every day with an LFD if you've been in close contact with a COVID case, and there's working from home as well. There is, of course, no lockdown as yet. The reason there is no lockdown as yet is that there is no way at the moment that Johnson could bring himself to effectively cancel Christmas, even though Christmas will already be cancelled. Let's be honest about it for a lot of people. There will be a lot of people this Christmas who are having to self-isolate because they have COVID, because they are worried, understandably, about passing on COVID to an elderly relative. Omicron has already ruined a lot of people's businesses. And there's another big issue which will be bubbling up, which is the effect 
that the words Johnson used rightly about a tidal wave of Omicron coming in, it does indeed look very, very big on hospitality and on the entertainment business. Because why would you go out now unless you were perfectly happy to get COVID? Frankly, it's going to be rampant. And Mm. people are cancelling events, parties, nights out, right, left and centre. Understandably so. But is there any help for the entertainment or hospitality sector? No, there is nothing at all. Furlough has not been brought back. There is no help. If I were Rishi Sunak, the Treasury, I would be thinking very hard this week about how I was going to help a lot of businesses that are expecting to collapse because of the collapse in their business in the last couple of weeks. All the talk last week was about the, the confusing messages uh, of when to work from home and when not to work from home, when to go out, and when not to go out. You know, apparently we're being advised to uh, yes, work from home um, unless it's absolutely impossible, but don't cancel your party, which produced a, a lot of uh, you know hilarious ideas that people can um, take a laptop to a Christmas party and uh, do their work while wearing a party hat and blowing a little party pop and balloon thing. Um, have we got any more clarity on this guidance? on what we're supposed to do? No, none, nothing at all. Johnson did not mention parties last night. It was a an address from his little desk in number 10. So there was no opportunity. There were no journalists present. There was no uh, Chris Whitty or Patrick Valance there at all. So the official advice that we heard a few days ago is that it's still okay to go to a Christmas party. That said, number 10 itself has now cancelled its Christmas party, which is perhaps not altogether surprising given the events of the last week. And um, every party I've been invited to has been cancelled. I don't know about you, Andrew, but uh, there's I don't just get invited not- to parties. <laughs> there's, not, there's nothing going on. It's dead. And there will be people who carry on partying, but it is now, I think, people have realised that there are risks if they have a party and they they are effectively taking matters into their own hands. Um, part of the provisions are that uh, vaccinated contacts with people with COVID are going to be asked to take daily lateral flow tests. From your work on the COVID blog, um, how committed are people to regular lateral flow tests generally? Do they work? Is it a useful um, method of monitoring spread in the population? Yeah, there was a lot of spe- uh, scepticism about lateral flow at first, but there were early indications that it was useful. And I think it is useful. The reason it's so useful at the moment, especially, is that we know with Omicron, the gap between being infected and developing symptoms seems to be much shorter than with previous waves, something like 48 hours, perhaps even less. So if you get a PCR, your PCR, especially with so much demand at the moment, is not going to come back within within that time. You're not going to get a result In the meantime, you're going to have to self-isolate until it comes back. With the LFD, you have a good idea. It's not utterly reliable, but you you have a very good idea of whether you're infectious or not. And so you, you know whether it's safe to go out and mix or not. And that's why they're going very heavily on the LFDs. The result, unfortunately, is that there appears to be a bit of a shortage of LFDs developing. If you can see a pack around you, I would grab it now. Not that I want to get people into toilet roll buying panic yeah. mode, but um, there there will be shortages. Um, let's move over to the politics of it then. Um, obviously, we've had the huge question of whether people will take notice of the government after the event of the past couple of weeks when you know we've seen clear evidence that uh, Number 10 and other government uh, organisations simply have ignored the rules that they put out to everybody else. Why should we obey the rules when the government doesn't? Um, do you think that, that that activity has 
it really has undermined people's willingness to obey the instruction? I think it's a combination of things. I think it's, yes, disgust with Johnson, undoubtedly, and a feeling that they weren't following the rules. Why should I be particularly strict about them? I think it's also a world weariness with this pandemic. It's been nearly two years now, and we're all exhausted. I think we're in a place now where people are more willing to take their own decisions. In fact, they may want to take their own decisions about perceived risk. That is quite a dangerous place to be in if it turns out that the NHS is overwhelmed and we do have another lockdown. He has got us into a risky place. It would always have been difficult to move into a fourth lockdown and other countries in Europe, in the world, will be facing the same issues as we are. And we are seeing an enormous amount of unrest in places like Austria and Germany and the Netherlands in particular over renewed lockdown measures. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened in Britain as well, if a new lockdown was brought in. But Johnson is overwhelmingly anxious, of course, to avoid that. The challenge he faces, as I mentioned earlier, is that if people take their own initiative and decide not to go out, businesses suffer terribly. And at the moment, there is no means for supporting them. And he really needs to sort that out very, very soon. Let's talk about these votes on the measures then. Um, It is predicted that between 60 and 100 Conservative MPs will oppose the measures on COVID passports in particular. These are passports to get into venues like like clubs. This is the libertarian Tory right. Um, How serious a situation is this for Boris Johnson? It's pretty bad. Um, The vote has actually been split in three to try and isolate the vaccine passports issue so that the other two votes will hopefully go through without too much difficulty. But it's very odd that they're continuing to me to hold out on this, because actually, you don't have to have a vaccine passport, you can present a negative LFD test. And given how easy it is to fake those, it is remarkable to me that they continue to make such a fuss about it. And as the wave, the size of the wave becomes clear over the next few days, it will be harder for those hardline libertarian Tories to hold on to that position. It really will. I'm very surprised that they're holding out on this, and I think they will begin to look very out of step with public opinion. Nonetheless, they can still increase the pressure on Johnson and deploy their friends in the media to continue to push for it. We've seen a lot of opposition to vaccine passports from the Telegraph. The Mail has now moved back into its traditional pro-Tory line and there will be a lot of upset. The other two votes that are being split out are a vote on face mask mask rules and another one on what constitutes COVID status certification. I'm surprised that they're not focusing on the face mask rules because that seems to be the most emotive thing, uh, the thing that gets people most wound up in uh, in newspaper columns, but also in the street. And and, uh, whereas, as you say, the the passport thing is, uh, you know, not quite as immediate. I don't understand it. I'm not sure. Um, Different people have different feelings about it. I think there is fundamentally a problem a lot of people have with having something injected into their bodies against their will. And of course, a face mask doesn't quite meet that definition. Yeah. Uh, Aside from the mass COVID regulations, there's also a vote on whether to make vaccination compulsory for NHS workers in England. And it seems incredible that NHS workers would resist at all. But, you know, a lot of employees are uh, are opposed to it. also, the Telegraph says that between five and ten members of the government will resign in order to uh, vote against the measure. So it's clearly not just a backbench issue. 
Um, Ross, this weekend's papers were full of speculation about the Conservatives losing patience with Johnson in general and the fallout from the quiz photo. Uh, more than one person pointed out the irony that a figure created by Have I Got News For You is going to be brought down by a Christmas quiz, but he's not going to be brought down, is he? This is not going to be no. the ending. I mean, he was doing a Zoom quiz and there were two people in the room with him, um, but they, we are assured that they were colleagues. So I don't think this is a killer finding. If a picture were to emerge of him at a Christmas party last Christmas, holding a drink, chatting to people, that would look rather different. But there's no doubt that this has cut through because as we saw at the weekend, the polls are definitively moving against the Conservatives. Uh, There was one at the weekend, which was uh, 41% Labour, 32% Conservative, which is very bad. And that will be making a lot of Tory MPs very nervous. Uh, the Times has confirmed that the Cabinet Secretary Simon Case's investigation into the party that, quote, didn't happen, is now going to include that quiz. Now, it's the Cabinet Secretary investigating, uh, you know, behaviour of the government. The Cabinet Secretary is appointed by the Prime Minister. Is this a bit of a toothless investigation? Well, it isn't most rigorous when I've seen, but then it's half the course for the way Johnson investigates, in inverted commas, uh, mm. the, the um, things that he's forced to investigate. I think it doesn't matter ultimately what the outcome is. I think most people are assured that Johnson has broken the rules and didn't really care about breaking the rules. I think the actual result of a police investigation is less important at this stage. It is clear once he started um, claiming that there was was no party or if there was a party, he was sure all rules were followed, that this was a position which was logically impossible to maintain. And I think waiting months and months for Plod to decide whether social distancing guidelines were followed is it's irrelevant. That said, I think Johnson isn't in immediate trouble. That is because who on earth would want to take over at this point? The public will want the government to be focusing on COVID again at this point. They don't want the spectacle of seeing the Tory party tear itself apart again. Yeah, and a lot of um, a lot of kind of uh, friends inside Labour that I was talking to over the weekend were saying, actually, we don't want him to go right now. I mean, far better to have him in place, uh, you know, damaging the Conservative Party more and more. Um, the last thing you want to do is go into an election in two years' time with yet another fresh face, supposedly having restarted the whole Conservative clock again. They're quite happy for him to stay in position. Well, I don't think they have a fresh face that's capable of doing that as it happens, but um, it, there is certainly no advantage to pushing him out now. It, it, it also, I mean, to them, it will also look very bad because he's got a new baby and, you know, the, the spectacle of Carrie and a few a baby of a few days old being pushed out of Downing Street will make them feel quite unpleasant about themselves. But it makes much more sense to keep their powder dry, wait for him to get even more rope with which to hang himself. And for the people who are interested in succeeding him, God knows why they'd want to, to, um, to, to build up their support. Do you say there's no fresh face? What about the beaming, uh, the beaming countenance of tank driving uh, superstar Liz Truss? He's going to get the entire Tory party very excited. I really enjoyed Matthew Paris's description of Liz Truss over the weekend as like somebody who you, you, it was like going out for a kebab. You know, you were so drunk, you were really looking forward to this kebab and you opened up the pouch <laughs> and you realised it was just another shit kebab. <laughs> <laughs> In other sleaze news, uh, the government standards of standards advisor Lord Geis 
is reportedly on the verge of quitting after it seems that Boris Johnson lied to him. Imagine uh, over the flat refurbishment, Johnson had told him that he knew nothing about payments for the flat and the wallpaper. And yet the Electoral Commission has said that Johnson had WhatsApped Lord Brownlow, got that, asking for extra money from the trust fund that's been set up to to refurbish the flat. So that's kind of a lie, right? Um, we still haven't seen the inside of this flat. must be immensely fancy by now. Is uh, flat gate, wallpaper gate, I'm so sick of gates. Do you think that's going to make a difference this week, or will it all depend on whether Lord Gate really does decide to jack it in and become the second standard advisor to go? Well, he won't be the first person to resign from the Johnson administration, and I doubt he'll be the last. I don't think it will make much difference to the news agenda, but it adds to the impression that Johnson is a profligate person who, and also this is damaging for him, who is in hock to his wife, because the way this has been described makes it quite clear that Carrie Johnson wanted the flat to be refurbished, put a lot of pressure on Johnson for that to be done, and he basically called up all as many people as he could in order to try and raise the cash. That doesn't make him look particularly strong. It makes him look a bit of a, well, I'm, I'm not going to use the word because it sounds a bit sexist, but it makes him look a bit embattled. And mm. I don't think that goes very down very well with his base. It sort of fits the Johnson character though, doesn't it? You know, everything else about him is a ridiculous sitcom buffoon. And you know, it would fit perfectly. To, oh, her indoors, she who must be obeyed, waff, waff, waffle, waffle you know, browbeaten by by the good lady wife. It just fits so much with that ridiculous kind of home counties buffoon thing that he plays up to. Yeah, it does. I mean, you've also got the thing that leaked out a few weeks ago, which, of course, was denied uh, about him having buyer's remorse about marrying Carrie Johnson. It it just looks, it just looks sleazy, bad. It, It looks unpleasant and voters are not going to like it. And this is all leading up to the North Shropshire by-election uh, on Thursday to replace uh, the unfortunate Owen Patterson. Polls have put the Lib Dems in a slight lead in a constituency formerly with like a 23,000 Tory majority or something. Uh, MPs have been saying that uh, if the Conservatives lose, then Johnson's going to face a leadership challenge. What sort of place is North Shropshire, Ros? <laughs> Yeah, I keep being asked this because I went to school there. Um, it's obviously mostly rural. There are a lot of market, several market towns. Uh, farming is very important. But I was upset at the weekend when Will Hutton wrote a piece for the Observer about North Shropshire, which suggested that it was some sort of you know vestigial feudal place. It is not. <laughs> it's incredibly patronising to use language like that. And um, people in North Shropshire are fully aware of what Johnson has got up to, and to suggest that they are only going to vote Tory out of some kind of because they their father and their grandfather and their great grandfather did is quite insulting. There's an increasing kind of green element to North Shropshire as well. There are a lot of people who moved there because they like being in the countryside and there's a sort of overspill from the Mid Wales green faction. And there's a lot of concern about the NHS as well. That's a very salient issue in Shropshire. A lot of concern about public transport and how bad it is. It's not entirely certain that the Conservatives will lose, but I think their majority will be massively, massively cut. And they put in a candidate who isn't local. He's from Birmingham. That doesn't help. People are suspicious of him for that reason because Birmingham <laughs> people is are a, suspicious of people from Birmingham. Well, it's a very different place, you know. It's it's they it, it's perhaps somebody who's been parachuted in basically, and they don't like that because traditionally Tory MPs in in Shropshire do tend to be local and they tend to have connections to the farming community. And he doesn't. He's a doctor with army links as well. 
Um, so on paper, he looks very good, but I think he's been having to try very hard to get abreast of the rural issues in the constituency and to look as though he knows about them. That they people will be very very sensitised to that. So I'm. It will be certainly be worth watching. And if, of course, Conservatives do lose North Shropshire, I would say a leadership challenge in the new year, possibly in February time, if the NHS is under just terrible, terrible pressure, looks increasingly likely. Okay, well, just adding in the slight possibility that Russia might invade Ukraine this week. Mm. Uh, So keep an eye on that one. Uh, Let's call it a day for Start Your Week uh, this time. Ros, thanks for joining me. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with the panel show to pick up further on these themes and also to see if Russia has invaded Ukraine. Don't forget to follow us to get every show immediately or if you want to get them a day early, and extra stuff too. You can back us on Patreon and support the show in all it does. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bunker was presented by Andrew Harrison, Roz Tate. The producer was Andrew Harrison. Assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronevich. An audio production came from me, Robin Lee. The theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. And the bunker is a Podmasters production.